Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. Each week I turn to our faith and the words of Scripture for insights on how to live a fulfilling and blessed life. Today I'm going to begin with a reading from the Gospel of John that may seem challenging or even outrageous when you first hear it out of context, especially if you don't come from a Christian tradition. Hang in there, however, it will lead us to some important insights into something that concerns all of us, and that's eternal life. As we begin our reading for today, Jesus had made the comment that he is the bread of life. And here he explains the implications of that claim to a group of people, including his disciples. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate, and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things when he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Now, When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But among you there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones that did not believe and who was the one that would betray him. And he said, For this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted by the Father. Now, because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, Do you also want to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? Yet yet one of you is a devil. He was speaking of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. For he, though one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Here ends the reading. Pretty outrageous, isn't it? Jesus taught, if we don't eat his flesh and drink his blood, then We don't have any life in us. That statement slaps you in the face. Maybe I should have given a warning. This reading is for mature audiences only. It's not surprising, then, 
that the early Christians in the Roman Empire was accused of cannibalism and persecuted for their faith. There were rumors of all sorts of gruesome rituals in which Christians would kill human sacrifices, including babies, and then eat their flesh and drink their blood. Similar claims were made against the Jews in Tsarist Russia. They were accused of stealing and killing Christian babies in order to consume them in their rituals. Of course, neither of these claims is true. There were no such rituals among Christians or Jews at any time in history. In both cases, reports of these practices were the result of wild flights of imagination that were used to incite fear and hatred that could be translated into violence against both of these groups at different times, Christians and Jews. Most of the Christian persecutions took place nearly 2,000 years ago in the early church. But the scandalous claims made against the Jews occurred as recently as during the Nazi Holocaust. In fact, even today, similar outrageous claims are made by fringe conspiracy theorists. The only ones to fear are the ones making these claims, since they mean to inflict harm on the religious groups and people they hate. Well, we don't need to read very far from where Jesus is talking about eating flesh and drinking blood to understand that he's not speaking literally. He's speaking figuratively. In verse 63, Jesus goes on to say, It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. When Jesus said that he is the bread come down from heaven, he is speaking of something other than a loaf that was made from flour and wheat and yeast and then baked in an oven. He is referring to bread the same way he did in the Lord's Prayer when he taught us to pray, Give us this day our daily bread. Bread is a universal staple of life and a symbol of everything we need to sustain us, physically and spiritually. Jesus provides us spiritually with everything we need for life. Because Jesus says that he is speaking of spirit and life does not imply, however, that he's not concerned with the real lives of real people. When a group of 5,000 hungry people gathered to hear him preach on the side of a mountain, he fed them real bread and real fish that could be gathered up in real baskets. At the same time, through his example of compassion and sharing, he was feeding them spiritually. You see, it was not either or, it was both and. Feeding them physically, he was feeding them spiritually. And Jesus was concerned with real bodies. When sick or blind or deaf people came to him, he healed their bodies and brought them back to health. But at the same time, these acts of power strengthened their faith, their spirits. 
Now, the eternal life that Jesus was talking about was different from the way that we often think about it. We think that when we die, God will give us eternal life if we have faith. But Jesus says, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up the last day. He is saying that when we join with him, when we become a part of his life, when we take him into ourselves, we already have eternal life in the present. We are living in eternity in this very moment. But also, he says, he will raise us up on the last day. This is a twofold promise of eternal life. The already and the not yet. And that's a win-win for us. Jesus asked his disciples if this hard teaching offended them. Well, it offended some of his followers. Some of them turned back and no longer followed him. Among those were some who believed the lie that his followers were literally practicing cannibalism. They wanted no part of that. And I have to admit that I would be one of those who stopped following him if those rumors were true. But of course, they weren't true. Some people are just gullible. It's easy to be taken in by sensationalist messages that play upon hates and fears. But there were also others among his followers who deserted him even though they knew he wasn't talking about his literal flesh and blood. They were unwilling to follow him because he was claiming to be the Son of God and who, as Peter put it, had the words of eternal life. When he says that they must eat his flesh and drink his blood, he meant they had to totally buy into his radical message and lifestyle. They would have to surrender their entire lives to him. Eternity began right then. Jesus was calling them to a new life that required them to give up their self-seeking lives, to live a a life of love and compassion for others then they would experience true life. But they liked the life they already had. Peter simply puts why he and a core group of disciples chose to follow Jesus. He says, To Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. The life that he embodied came from God, and Peter correctly saw that there was really no choice to make. There was nowhere else that they could turn where they were offered the possibility of eternal life in all circumstances. There was nowhere else that they could turn. Lord, to whom can we go? Jesus is the first and the last, the alpha, the omega of desperate people. And in the larger scheme of things, We are all desperate people. Now, for some people today, Jesus' teachings are too hard. They turn back from following him. Even if they weren't worried about Christians being cannibals, they may be turned off by the rituals and beliefs of Christians. Or more commonly, they just aren't willing to fully commit their lives to Christ and what that implies. They aren't willing to figuratively 
eat and drink the body and blood of Christ in any way, shape, or form. You know, I've witnessed a lot of desperate people, desperate people who have said, Lord, to whom can I go? You have the words of eternal life. My friend Marie was one of them. Marie was a NICU nurse at the University of Wisconsin, uh, neonatal ICU. She not only lovingly cared for her own two young girls, she poured her heart into her soul into each of those struggling young babies in her care in the hospital. Who can say how many of those babies lived through their difficult start in life because of the tender, loving touch they received from Marie? I don't know how she did it, but with the support of her husband, she found time to train for and complete the New York Marathon. At 35, she was truly at the top of her game, physically and professionally, and as we would soon learn, spiritually. Within a week of completing the marathon, Marie felt an irritation on the inside of her thigh. Now, she first just talked it up to the chafing that inevitably occurs when you run 26 miles. But it wouldn't go away, and she became suspicious. And a trip to a dermatologist confirmed her worst fears. The irritation was the result of a melanoma, a dangerous skin cancer. Her disease was rated as stage four, and as a nurse, she realized just how serious that was. The five-year survival rate for her condition was about 20%. As a nurse at a hospital with a renowned oncology department, Marie had a lot of people to whom she could go for help, and she did. She signed on for aggressive chemotherapy treatments. And despite the devastating effects of the chemo on her body, Marie and her family came to church every Sunday. Her head wrapped in a colorful bandana, she continued her work with our youth group. She welcomed the prayers of their congregation and became the target of a women's prayer group. Chemotherapy beat back Marie's cancer for a time. But about two years later, she was hospitalized with a recurrence that attacked her liver. I visited her after she had entered a hospice care unit, and as her husband and I sat at her bedside, the two girls played on the couch across the room. She said, I haven't given up. I've just given my life to Jesus. I know he's with me. Lord, to whom could she go? You have the words of eternal life, a life that she never doubted. She had heard and lived the words of eternal life to the end of her time with us and was ready to share eternal life with her Lord. Now, there are many other people in the world in many circumstances who rely on those words of life. My wife and I watch the local and national news together each night before dinner. It's part of our daily ritual. Like many people I know, we're often tempted to tune out of the news for good. Recently, we saw images of thousands of refugees per day flooding across our southern border. They're coming from Cuba, Venezuela, Nicaragua, and Haiti, 
all places where advocates and migrants themselves explain people have faced crises of oppression, poverty, violence, lack of opportunity, and a changing and dangerous climate. We watched a man carrying the lifeless body of his four-year-old son who had been swept away by the current and drowned as they tried to cross the river. As we watched the local news, we asked, what can we do? Where can we turn for answers to this overwhelming humanitarian crisis? And Peter's words echo, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now, we've looked at a lot of other places for answers to this immigrant problem. The immigrants themselves have, out of desperation, looked to the members of the Mexican cartels turned human traffickers. In return, they've been cheated out of their meager life savings and lied to about the fact that they're not eligible for legal entry and asylum in the U.S. As Americans, we've looked to our immigration system, which was put into place to treat people with compassion while also stemming the relentless flow of humanity that will simply move the disaster from the Mexican desert to overcrowded, disease-ridden refugee camps or our cities. We've looked to our politicians who, in some cases, have solved their local problems by busing refugees to other cities who are equally ill-prepared to deal with the crisis. Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Those words of eternal life remind us that Jesus was familiar with this type of human tragedy that we see today. His own family was forced to flee from political oppression and violence that threatened his life when Herod put a price on his head just after he'd been born. War and famine and natural disasters forced people in his time from their homes. And Jesus would grow up teaching compassion for the poor, the hungry, and the dispossessed. Jesus often quoted Isaiah, who wrote, Is not this that the fast that I choose? To loose the bounds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked to cover them, and not hide yourself from your own kid? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the God shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of eagle, evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and the gloom be like noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. And you will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Here ends the reading. 
the words, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life are empowering. Our faith encourage us to continue to seek answers as to how we can improve or save the lives of the dispossessed of the earth. We will turn our backs on no one. We will shelter those in need and share our food with the hungry. And we will not let hate rule us. We will not demonize the needy even when their problems inconvenience us. And through us, Jesus will miraculously continue to feed the multitudes and heal the sick. That is our faith. And he will raise us all up on the last day to eternal life. Whenever you feel desperate, in the face of personal tragedies, or when you witness the overwhelming problems of the world, repeat Peter's words and take them to heart. Lord, to whom can we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. Amen. Thank you for joining me today. May you be lifted up with the promise and knowledge of eternal life. And may God bless you now and forever.